millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. I'm so happy today to welcome the amazing Barry Tesler. And she has a book coming out in June called The Art of Money. So, of course, we're going to talk about that. But I'm thrilled to have Barry on, who I've known for years and admired for years, as being kind of the, the most inspiring embodiment of both left and right brain abilities. Um, what I mean by that is Barry started out as a dancer, then trained at Naropa as a dance therapist. And then after that, and we'll talk a little bit about how this happened, became very interested in bookkeeping and ended up finding a school called Conscious Bookkeeping, which is now a year-long program called The Art of Money. And I think that Barry, for me, has been a huge influence in terms of my relationship to money because there really isn't anyone out there, I don't think, that I've found that in the same way is able to address the emotional impact that dealing with money has in a really effective and, and supportive way. So the fact that she's now put out a book on this topic, I have been pimping this book pretty aggressively and it's not even out yet. All of my people are like, when is it coming out? Um, so I was like, we'll do an interview first so you get a little bit of excitement um, before you get the book in your hands. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk today, Barry. You're so welcome. I've been really looking forward to being interviewed by you from just knowing you for so many years and you doing the work and you knowing the work. And I've been really looking forward to this. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so I want to start just because I want to start with the process of creating this book because I know for a while originally you were doing, you know, I, I went to one of your early presentations on your work and then it was an in-person class and then it became an online class. So I know that the actual form your work has taken many forms. So I know people ask for a book for a long time, but I'm curious about what it was that finally made you feel like it's time for the book. So it was interesting because today on Facebook, a photo from two years ago popped up, and it was the mm. day that I started actually gathering my notes and officially saying, it's now, you know, because mm. as you know, I started teaching this methodology 15 years ago, and the very first talks, you know, in the first six months, people would raise their hand and say, so when's the book? You know, and I would say, uh, soon, not now, but someday or soon. I, I think I kept saying soon you know, for many, many, many years. But I needed to teach it in six-week classes and eight-week classes and nine-week classes live and then move it online and do three months and six months and then eventually move it into the year-long version. I, I needed to teach it over and over and over in all these different formats. So the book it was two years ago when I, I just realized it's really it's time to write that book proposal, and I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen from there. And to back up just a teeny bit, it was five years ago when I found my co-writer. And so yeah. while I had been creating the methodology and teaching it for years and creating new exercises and concepts and on and on, and I love you know the the live teaching or any of the teaching. Um, and I wrote all of my newsletters somehow for the first seven, eight years of my business, but writing's very hard for me. And writing my master's thesis, um, that 150-page thing, I had to lock myself in a room, go on a sabbatical, and do it that way so I could write alone. And I just knew that this – I didn't even know that co-writing was a possibility. So when, you know, seven years ago I realized I could do that and still be involved in almost every sentence concept – idea, story, on and on, um, and then had a few different co-writers and then finally found Angela five years ago. I think within six months I knew she was the one. Um, mm. She was the one. She was the one, and we talked about it pretty early on, and it just needed a couple of years. She was my copywriter. Yeah, and then two years ago, I, it, it just, I had matured. The work had matured. I was a few years into my year-long 
you know, online money school called The Art of Money, and it just was, I, I, I knew it was time to take that huge step to write a book proposal, which is not a simple little thing. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's huge, and I think it's wonderful, too, talking about the process of using a co-writer, because I have been hearing a lot more people talking about different processes of creating books, um, whether it's co-writers or I, I remember listening to something recently with Brene Brown, who also was like, I, I hate locking myself in a room and writing. It makes me miserable. And maybe it doesn't have to be miserable. And I could just talk to, like, give little faux talks in my living room with a bunch of friends, and they could take notes, and then that could yeah. become the book. Um, and it makes me so happy to hear about people really embracing that because I feel like there's so many books we're missing out on if people aren't, you know, open to different ways of creating them. It's true, and it, it kept me from creating a book, certainly. Um, and But having a child, having my first only mm. child seven and a half years ago, you know, my boundaries became so much clearer. My yes, or, yes and no's became so much clearer. Um, I had been working on my own sense of value for years, so you know, more and more clear on what I'm great at, what I suck at. You know, just doing really deep value work on an internal level, external work, similar to the work that I do with my community. And I got really clear, like I, I'm great at all these things. <laughs> I feel really good about that. And writing is so hard. And and then having a child in the equation, there's no way I could lock myself alone in the room, or I wouldn't choose that because of the way right. my parents, the way that I want to be with my family, the way that I need my hiking time daily and all of that. So it really wasn't an option, and the book would have happened if I had to do it that way years and years down the road. So co-writing for me, while at first I didn't feel shame, I just felt like I'm really not a good writer, and yet, my God, do you know, I'm a great therapist and coach and teacher and do I have exercises and concepts galore and you know I just really had to own what I'm really good at and find a way a creative way to you know create a book so I'm I'm the end result we can talk about the whole journey but the end result yeah 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 I'm really proud of but maybe we should talk about the whole I know that was my next question my next question was that you know, because this is sort of the part about creating the initial manuscript and the proposal, but then there's the whole point of getting it into print. And the, the, I know the editing process was, was unusual for you. I'll let you lead on that one. Yeah, well, even... But I'm just, curious about it. Yeah, I want to talk about that, but even just to back up to say, you know, we were... Uh-huh. We, we used uh, Danielle Laporte and Linda Silverstein. I don't think I'm saying her last uh-huh. name correctly. We used their big, beautiful book proposal or whatever it's called, you know, as our framework, as our template. We we were using that, and we were just getting to the point where we were going to do the chapters, but it was already Uh an incredible amount of work, and and again, I didn't know, was I going to get an agent, was I going to self-publish, was I going to publish, I I really did not know if we were going to shop it around, and right as we were moving into the chapters, and it was taking a long time just to finish the book proposal because... Then I went into my year-long program registration. We had to put that on hold. You know, there, there's, a, there's always a lot going on. And so right as we're at that moment, Parallax Press, which is my publisher, um, uh-huh. came to me knocking on my door saying, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? And, you know, I think I secretly had a dream. I think we all do. Like, there's just going to be a publisher one day that's just going to knock on our door and say, you know, will you write a book for us? And so there was, you know, that was certainly a dream come true. And we said to them, well, we're not done with the book proposal. And they said, send in what you got, you know. And it was somewhat of a more creative version. I sent in some videos so they could see me teaching, you know, things like that. Um, and it happened really, really fast. Um, I did bring someone in to just review the whole contract, and um, that was that was great. And she definitely said, "Oh, I can get you a bigger publisher," or you know. And we kind of that had happened really, really quickly because I was negotiating with Parallax, and I didn't negotiate the advance, and on and on and on. At the end of the day, I made a list which I didn't even know. 
I wanted one or needed one of all the things that I wanted in a publisher, you know. Mm. And so this what was all happening live in the moment, and we wrote an article about it, and it was everything from I want to have final say on the title and the subtitle, and I want to have final say on the book design, the cover of it, and the inside, and all these little things that I probably would have not gotten final say on, you know, in a larger publisher. And right, so, of course. You know, that was all really important to me. So anyway, at the end of the day, we – did I, I I was very clear Parallax Press, which is Thich Nhat Hanh's publisher and was created initially for him, um, and has now moved into other teachers. I realized that you know they met all of my criteria and more, um, and so that that was amazing to me, you know. And then we just hit the ground running, and all of a sudden, you know, they came to me in November. My contract was finalized in January or February. You know, they gave me a contract in January. It was finalized, even though it felt fast, in February. March 1st hit the ground running. And they wow. gave us five months <laughs> to, oh, wow. to write the book and or to send in the first manuscript, you know. Right. And we wound up meeting six months, and we sent in a 120,000-word manuscript. Wow. And what we realized was, you know, me and Angela had co-written for years so many articles. She knew my copy. She had been doing the Art of Money work for years, um, which is essential for me. She knew it through and through. Not like, she, you know, she was done. We all have room to grow and will for years to come. Um, and so we just thought we had all these articles and all this content in my online program. Well, we'll just put that all into a book. We'll just make a book. We'll sew it together. And right. that's not what happened um, at yeah. all. I mean, I certainly, like, printed out all my articles, got out all my material, you know. It's a very clear three-phase model, money healing, money practices, money maps. Um, and yet it wasn't about sewing together article blog articles at all. It's not – we weren't writing a blog, you know, one big blog. And so we really had to, you know, take – each phase and each chapter one at a time and say, like, how do we, what's the framework of this? What's the vision? And we knew pretty early on that we wanted it to be somewhat memoir style um, with my teachings, with practices. We didn't want it to be too workbooky or workbooky at all. Um, that was the overall vision, but then we had to, like, get, well, what each chapter, you know, what's the main story? And it just was happening so fast. At the same time, we were writing a contract with Angela, we've, which we'd never had. I'd never had a contract bef with her before. I didn't need one. Right. And that brought up so much stuff. It took us a wow. month. And we kept trying to do it while she was writing. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. And, it, it, you know, where we had had a really smooth relationship for five years, it brought up all this stuff um, that we had to work through while she was also trying to write her book, the book, her first book, and um, it brought up a lot, a lot, a lot. And so um, we eventually signed the contract a month later. And if we had signed a con if we had created and signed a contract before we went into March 1st, she would have gotten a deal that would have not worked for her and felt great for her. And she was pushing yeah. for a different deal. She was pushing for a flat rate, and we kept saying, no, we want to pay you monthly, you know. Um, for this many months, and you need to, you know, finish so much of the book by this month, and then we'll keep going forward. We needed some markers, you know. Yeah. Um, and so she's so grateful <laughs> that we said, no, we're not, we're not doing a flat rate because we want to pay her a lot, lot more. Um, yeah. A lot more, you know. Um, and so, you know, six months, we hand, hand over 120,000 word manuscripts, which turned out to be much meatier than what the publisher imagined um, and what we wanted. It was like, this is, you know, this is what we, this is the book we want yeah. to write. And we're totally open to editing and feedback and all of that. Um, and we sent it in. And um, I had had a really nice relationship with the editor um, all along the way. But... We never discussed. <laughs> oh, but. But, but. <laughs> we never discussed what kind of editor she is or the kind of editor she wants to be or sees herself or what role she sees playing. So I've now learned that there's all different kinds of editors. There's editors that come in and simply edit and make the, the framework and the book and the voice and, and 
the structure better, everything better, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's editors that come in and and do what they want, do what they see the book should be, and doctor it completely. And, you know, a whole spectrum in there. And I never knew to ask. I never thought to ask. And so a month later we get our manuscript back, and it's just destroyed, like ripped apart. My husband said it was Frankenstein. Then he also said it was like the head was ripped off and put in the crotch, and the arm was ripped off, oh, and the leg, and the leg was like, <laughs> plus my husband kept coming up with, like, so many <laughs> crazy metaphors. That's, we just felt it was bulldozed, and the order of my methodology was changed. My oh, voice no. Was, yeah, my voice was completely changed. Forrest said it sounded like Dave Ramsey, who's another oh, teacher. Boy. Dave Ramsey with lipstick, you know? So... <sighs> <laughs> there were just so many things that, like, I, we, you know, I read it, then my husband read it, then Angela read it, then her mom, who had been, like, when we hired Angela, even after all these five years, I never knew she had such a smart, savvy, well-read mom. Her mom was the first reader um, of each chapter. Oh, wow. Which was amazing, and someone who didn't know the work, you know, and... right. She gave such incredible feedback, so it was like I read it, and, like, I went into full-on no, and this is not my book, this is not my voice, this is not my methodology. This has basically been turned into a traditional money book that's been written by men hundreds and hundreds of times. And I was good to then have four, you know, one after the other, like, read it and have the same reaction, and I... You know, you know, for people who know my work so well. So we wound up writing a whole letter um, for us and I worked on, and it was sent back. And it was basically, this is not my book. This may be your book. You may want to publish this book, but this is not my book. And I, you know, even consulted my attorney at the time saying, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of my contract? Oh, dear, yeah. Yeah, and he read the contract and said, you just... You know, you you cannot agree to these edits. And the only path I saw in that moment was, wow, wow, there there goes my dream. I'm walking away, and I'm going to self-publish. And it was the only path I saw and, you know, wrote a whole letter. And within, um, you know, within a half an hour, the publisher called me, who I have the head who I have a very good relationship with, and she's the one who I had to negotiate the advance with, and so there's just a lot of honesty and trust and, you know, a really good connection, and she immediately called me and said, I would never publish a book that you don't fully stand behind, that you don't believe in, that you would not want to put your name on. And, I, you know, I started to cry, and, and oh, she, so said, yeah, she said, I'm going to get you another editor. And, I, you know... Uh, you know how we're taught, like, we need to see it to make it happen or we need to believe uh-huh. it, you know. <laughs> that's, I think that's true in many cases or see it through, like, with the book. But in this case, I did not see this option or this possibility right. being presented. And then then two days later, she said, because of timing, because it, there, everything was planned out, obviously, with the distributors, with the marketing, with, you know, with the whole publishing firm, and they wanted to stay on track. We had we had we had slotted a spring 2016 book, and everyone wanted to stay on track. Um, and so two days later, she calls me and says, "I'm going to edit it for you." That's now, so what's so amazing is that I mean, she's been Thich Han's editor for years and years before she took over the publishing house. Um, she doesn't edit other people's books right now, and I just really felt. She she believes in me. She believes in this work. She fully stands behind it, and she want you know she wants to do it, and she wants the one to get in there. So that's that. And it sounds like it worked out. It worked out really well. It worked she out. Yeah. Was editing. It worked out really well. I mean, she sent over like within two or three weeks. It was pretty crazy. Within three weeks, like a whole next round of editing. Um, you know, the first editor took out half the words, so gone, or like 50 oh, wow. or 60,000. And, and that had never, so many things had never been discussed, and so it was just too many shockers at once. You know, some right. of that could have certainly been negotiated. I could have compromised, but it was just it was too much at once. And 
So, yes, when um, my publisher editor came in and sent us the version back, she still ripped out so much, but she kept the order, the framework, my voice. You know, she just, she made it better. And then we went in and luckily had another month um, to do another significant round of editing. So, like, any concept um, that she had scaled down, we filled out again, or anything that felt incomplete or off, or, you know, just we went in and filled out the chapter with more warmth. Um, and hand-holding, which is our style, and, like, followed through on all the concepts that needed to be completed and the stories that needed to be completed um, or taken out to, you know, bring it. And then we had quite a few more rounds of line editing. Um, mm -hmm. And that was a whole thing that, you know, uh, that was actually really fun <laughs> with me <laughs> back and forth, you know. Um, but a, a tremendous amount of work, and yeah, it, and, and then it was, you know, finally, finally, finally sent off to be printed. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I think most people don't know the behind the scenes, so I think it's really valuable to hear a little bit about. It's like most of us who haven't actually published a book, it's like, there's this concept, there's, you're in a room by yourself banging away with lots of coffee, and then it sort of goes into a shoot and it comes out the other side, and, um, and that's obviously not the case. And so I think it is important to hear that kind of process so that people don't go into it just not knowing anything about it. Yeah, it took us a full year, and, you know, it's a 294-page book, and um, it's going to be hard hardcover. And, yeah, so we started March 1st, and in December we were still doing the full month of editing, and then the line editing happened in January, February, and we kept thinking, like, we're done. We're done. <laughs> no, we're done. We're really done. And, and, you know, and then it went off to the printer in March as we were heading off to Santa Fe for a family adventure. Um, so it took a full year for, you know, you know a 300-page book that mm -hmm. has my methodology in it that I've been teaching for 15 years and a decade before of, you know, training to be a somatic therapist and and that's how long it took us. You know, some people write a book in three months. <laughs> I'm like, wow, but that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not what ours was at all. And it's really so much, you know, memoir-ish. Well, I'm curious of your interpretation, but because I read memoirs and I read fiction, mm -hmm. and every once in a while I'll pull out a money book or you know, <laughs> nonfiction. Like, sweetie, I'm on an interview. No, no. It's one o'clock outside. It's one o'clock outside. Um, Papa, check the website, and your soccer game is at one o'clock outside. Okay. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so we Hi. it worked out perfectly. Child, our child care gal who we adore, um, is with Noah today. So nice. <laughs> That's so nice. Nice to have his little voice in the in the interview for a second. <laughs> Did you hear? Oh, okay, good. Yeah. That's so cute. too because I, I felt kind of um because when I read the book I was excited I was really excited to see how it was going to translate into it and we'll get into your method because I want to talk about that a little bit but the thing that I loved about it there are many things but as someone who already knows the method I love the way that it was structured because it really um I, I did not expect to use the adjective riveting to describe a money book but I really couldn't put it down and and I expected it to be helpful. I expected it to be supportive and, and useful. And, but it was really just, like, almost suspenseful. And, um, because, and I think part of that was the, the story part that, you know, of how you came to discover all of this. And as there are more and more people, and I definitely identify as one, who have had, shall we say, more um, less of the traffic light in our resume than some other people, um, it's always so exciting for me to hear, like, oh, I started out in this one place, but then, oh, my God, this whole door opened up, and I'm learning something completely different, and now I'm putting them together, and it's a whole new thing. Um, and that's what I've always loved about your approach to money. Should we jump into that a little bit? Sure. I want to talk a little sure. bit about those doors, Yeah. those doorways. Yeah, and, I mean, and also, you know, the, the transition into it, because when I first started my work, you know, I remember meeting with accountants and financial planners and bookkeepers, and they were – 
it, most of them were just like, wow, did you come from this odd back door, you know? And <laughs> wow, are you putting things together that I could have never thought of because of my traditional training? So, right. It is the opposite of dry, I have to say. Because I think a lot of people who are creatively minded sort of, it's almost like a vampire approaching the sun when you bring up the topic of money. It's like, like it's going to hurt. It's going to, it might kill me. I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm going to survive this interaction. Well, um, God, I mean, I never would have imagined ever that this would be my topic or theme. I thought it would be sexuality, sensuality, body, food, intimacy relationships. And I'm certainly bringing in the intimacy and relationships and body, you know, into my money work and methodology, but I thought I'd be a therapist. I, you know, I fully couldn't see it. I knew I wasn't going to have a traditional practice where you see eight to ten people a day. I knew that that was right. never going to work for me. Um, but I had no idea that I'd be teaching or working online or, you know, that my topic theme, the doorway that I go through to bring mindfulness into daily life and more health and intimacy and all that would be money. Never. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> but I'm so glad you did because I think you. it really makes a difference to so many people. I know it's made a difference to me. Mm. Um, yeah. So let's talk so about we the. To, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about the method. Okay. So um, the method. I now say. I, I now name the three phases as money healing, money practices, money maps. Fifteen years ago. I was just at the brink of, you know, I had trained as a therapist um, my last year in the mental health system. So I was working in hospice that year, doing overnight shifts, doing bereavement work, working in the mental health system. And that last year, somehow, um, the head of that program asked me if I wanted five hours a week out of my full, full 40 hours to go into the back room and um, learn Quicken in Excel and do the bookkeeping for the program. I have no idea why he picked me, you know, because at that time, <laughs> as my, you know, everyone that was in graduate school with me and the house that I lived in was all, was all women, dancers, creative folks in graduate school at Naropa, that, you know, they, they could attest to, I would get those bank statements and I would throw them right into the trash. I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. I, I don't look, what, what's this? It was like, it, was, it didn't even connect that this was something real, you know, or something I should do with, to do, to have a relationship with. And so I threw away my bank statements, didn't have any, you know, relationship to money. I was doing work on all those other areas, you know. And so, I, so to be offered, here you have five hours, I, I, I said yes, because I oh. think there was something for me that was like, I'm, I've been bad at math, you know, math is not my strength. I'm not smart in that way. I don't really know if I can use the other side of my brain because math and science just were never strengths, not even close to it. And I knew I was very smart in many other ways. And so I was somewhat intrigued. I don't know why because um, I'd really closed off to that side of me. And so here I was trained on how to use Quicken in Excel and learned how to do the bookkeeping for the program. And it just like, you know, like, like light bulbs went off, and it was a revelation to me that I could use the other side of my brain, so I love that you introduced this whole thing with, like, I'm such a balance of right and left, and and then from there, I just, like, I needed a break from work in the mental health field and hospice, and, well, actually, I continued overnight care, but um, I needed a break, and so I decided to learn bookkeeping or take a job in a bakery, and I just needed to do some of my own healing at that time. I was still in my 20s. I was not ready to start a private practice. Felt too young. And then I started learning this bookkeeping stuff, you know. And again, it was just like, what am I doing? Everyone thought it was this odd tour, but I knew it was the right next step and path for me. I was like, don't worry about it, everyone. You know, this is all going to work out. Um, I had no clue how it would. And so... I had done that for a few years, and then someone taught me QuickBooks, and then I started doing bookkeeping for contractors and artists and coaches, therapists, and self-training and having some mentors. And then right as I, like, the light bulb went on, I moved from Boulder to California, and I started realizing it was time to integrate all of this deep therapy training, right, all the deep 
tools and practices that I have to hold space for other people in, you know, the beauty and the pain and the huge challenges of life, you know. And so I knew how to hold deep space for people going through all sorts of life moments and transitions. And um, I knew how to do that. And then all these uh, systems and tools that I was learning on the practical side of money, which was such a missing piece in my education. You know, it was just a huge missing piece. Um, it became so apparent that it was not, you know, at first I thought, well, I'm the only one who has these money issues or didn't get an education around money or didn't have any financial literacy growing up in small increments. I'm the only one. You know, we all think mm -hmm. that. Then I started looking around and started seeing my community doing so much work on themselves and yet no matter what background they came from, a wealthy family, middle class, um, lower class, you know, it just, we all had money strengths, we all had money issues, we all had money shame, we all had money, you know, patterns, we all, you know, it just was like, whoa. And the doorway started opening up. And then, you know, it was just one day, it became clear that I needed to see if I could integrate these two together. It was also, as I was doing bookkeeping for folks, I was learning more about people than doing therapy sessions or it was way more intimate or way more revealing or way more, you know, they had to be way more transparent. I could see how much they were bringing in. I could see where they were spending their money, what money choices they were making, what their money patterns were. And it was so in that moment I met my mentor, my first mentor, um, Tamara Slayton, redheaded, amazing lady who, um, I met her, you know, right at the brink of that, and and she invited me to give a talk. And I was like, well, what am I going to give a talk on? And she was like, oh, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. And so I just went out into the woods and asked myself and asked the trees and asked, you know, the energy, the spirit, and I, I put it out there. What am I supposed to bring back to my community to help them have a more conscious, healthy, peaceful, you know, intimate smart, savvy relationship to money, like, wh wh what is it? Like, what are the concepts? What's the framework? And I got these three doorways, and I remember, like, coming home from my hike, and we were living in a 400-square-foot cabin. This was before the the shack in the apple orchard, which you went to. <laughs> it was my, I think shack is a little harsh. I actually thought it was really lovely. But, uh... It was lovely at the time, you know? <laughs> It was um, very 70s Northern California feeling. Totally, totally. I mean, and so before that, we were in this 400-square-foot cabin that opened up to the Redwood. Um, and which, and so I came home all excited and Forrest got out, like, big white pieces of paper, and he helped me, like, map out these three doorways and talk about them more. In that moment, he may have named it Financial Therapy which is now, you know, a whole field, and there's a whole financial therapy association. But back in the day, there was one other person on the Internet in Canada using that term, you know. And, and he also helped me name, it, name the business Conscious Bookkeeping, and we mapped out financial therapy, values-based bookkeeping, and life vision planning, which is now money healing, money practices, and money maps. And I gave my cool. first talk and was terrified and, you know, um, had to work through that and learn learn how to stay in my body and not check out um, when I was speaking and when I was sharing my work. And, you know, that was the first moment. And then from there, proceeded to teach it, as I was saying, in every single format imaginable. Um, yeah. And now we, I'm happy I think to it's amazing. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think it's really amazing to hear two things that really stand out for me. One is that you are such a natural speaker to me when I see you speak, so it's very, I think it's very um, inspiring to hear that you had to really worry and that you were had to not check out of your body um, when speaking, because it does not appear that way at all, you know, having seen you even towards the beginning of that, you know, not that far after that. It was already so, it felt so natural, um, which is great and I think inspiring. So if you're afraid of speaking, anyone who may be listening, it, there is something you can do about it. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that was an interesting moment because I would, um, my heart would start racing. I would get red, sweaty. I was so nervous. And then I had just racing thoughts of, 
um, you know, all my old stuff, which we all have, our versions of. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm not smart enough, I have nothing to say, I'm not articulate, you know, on and on and on. And so uh-huh. I remember, like, back in the day I was on a PC. I haven't been, you know, I haven't had a Mac for years. But I was back, uh-huh. at, I was on a PC, and we had to hit Control-Delete. And that would delete something on the computer. And I just remember, like, using that same little strategy with my mind. And I would Control-Delete, <laughs> like, all of those thoughts. I was like, thank you. I don't even know if I would say thank you. I've seen you a hundred million times. Like, goodbye, you know. But it was like Control-Delete. Yeah. It is time to say goodbye to to this. It's not true anymore. I'm not going to believe it. You need to go. You need to, you know, like, thank you for serving me. But really, then it turned into control, delete, control, delete over and over. And then, you know, and then it did become my favorite marketing strategy, you know, and then I gave free talks, an hour and a half free talks all over the Bay Area. And that's how I would bring people in um, to join my group program or when I had a team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches to go work with them. So, yeah. <laughs> it's so great. And the other thing I, the other thing that came up as you were talking too was that um, in some ways I think this really informs the book is that there's so many stories of people having experiences so that you know you're not alone. And I think, I wonder if that changed your feelings when you were doing all of this bookkeeping for people, you had this feeling like, I'm the only one who ever does this, but it is, it is possibly the most intimate thing you can do. It's like going through someone's underwear drawer, you know, seeing their account. And I think that people do feel that way. So I think it's amazing that you said, you know, I learned more about people doing their accounts than doing therapy, which I can completely believe. Well, you know, and then it turned into, I need to do groups, and, oh. you know, I've always, some years I haven't, some years I don't have any private clients, and some years I have, like, a handful or two handfuls, but I knew I needed to do groups, which, again, when I was in graduate school, I would try to lead a group and, like, be crying on the floor because it was so <laughs> hard for me and just brought up so much stuff, and I just couldn't sustain the energy, you know, would just freak out, and, you know, thank God I went to graduate school to be a therapist and to be and I had to be my own case study um, and do my own work and so that I could um, work through so much that I needed to work through and but for me it was I need to do this in community Um, I have to and we have to um, and to dispel one myth after the next and I just remember some of my beginning groups even you know they were 10 people when I started and I would do 10-person groups like every six weeks over and over and over, like six a year, and then it moved to 12 a year because I could do one in San Francisco and one in Berkeley. And, and then uh-huh. it would, I would add a third one that was online. You know, I just kept teaching, um, and you were probably part of one of those groups. Yeah, I was point. in one of the online ones. I think it was pretty early on. It was in 2000. It would have been 2007, I think. Wow. Yeah, I started probably a year or two before because people across the country just started emailing me saying, you know, are you coming here? And I'm like, well, no, but let's do, you know, let's get online. Um, yeah. But I remember in my early groups at San Francisco, 10-person group, and we would go around and share some stories about our background, and um, we can talk more about the money healing work, but um, we shared stories of family of origin and lineage and economic class and all that, and, you know, as soon as we would get to someone who came from a wealthy background, you know, the the space would get quiet, I knew there was a few other folks from a similar background, and then the other half of the community, let's say, um, who came from a different background, I know was thinking, if I only came from that background, I would have no money issues, or life would be grand, right. or, you know, and so that was a moment, and, um, I got to see over and over and over again, again, no matter what background you come from, you have beauty, you have challenges, you have things to overcome. And folks from my wealthy background do not have it easier. I mean, I, I know we could pull that apart, but everyone is beauty and challenges and pain and things to overcome. And we all have strengths, too, from our backgrounds. But I, I got to see that some people have the same exact patterns no matter what background they came from. or You know, oh. so it was just 
I learned so much, and I needed to see that and learn that, and I needed to hold space for that for our community because we needed to understand, like, we we all have issues here, and we're really not that different. And and so I love to interview, like, one of my favorite interviews is with my friend Rebecca McLaughlin Lewis, who talks about coming from a wealthy family, the beauty of it, strengths of it, and then all the challenges that came from that, you know. Uh-huh. So I, we're not, I mean, we're not, we don't have time to go into all that, but that's you. And then yeah, I, but you have a wonderful series. Your Art of Money Roadshow has some really amazing interviews on there. I'll put that in the link so that yeah. people can check that out because there's a ton of really amazing individual conversations about people's stories, which I think are really it's just really helpful to hear other people's stories because it really is the one thing that people feel like, oh, I can't talk about that. Um, yep, yep. And, you know, like I the last frontier. It, you know, it, and it's changing, And but our, my parents and their generations and for generations for, before that, it was we are not supposed to talk about this. This is not okay. Again, no matter what background you come from, you know, we are mm-hmm. not supposed to talk about this. Um and it's just changing. And, I, you know, since I've been doing this work for 15 years, I think the last 10, even five, all of a sudden we're waking up, you know, to this part of our culture because of so many things, you know, in our systems that are not working. And suddenly we're more ready and willing than ever to do our money work. And, you know, my community is 20 to 70 years old. Um, and, you know, so people are ready. People are willing and ready or they're having really hard things, you know, that are requiring them to look at this for the first time in their lives. Or for many of us, it's lots of smaller things that just add up and we realize one day, wow, we really did not get a financial education on a practical level, emotional, psychological, spiritual level. And I, I need, you know, I need to find out how to do this. And for me, the only way that I was going to step into this work is if I could bring all of the qualities that I was living in all these other ways. So it had to be sacred for me. It had to be oh. deeply meaningful for me. I had to bring in my values. It had to be playful. It had to be fun. And on and on, you know. And so that's why, for me, when I started creating the methodology, it was like, what is every possible way <laughs> that I can make this deeply meaningful, incorporate values, make it sacred, um, add in practices or psycho-spiritual practices from so many other areas in our lives, from our hiking practice to our meditation practice to our, you know, the work we do as a couple and on and on. Yeah, did I answer your question? I, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's sort of, you know, the idea of money as a topic, and I think the atmosphere around it, too, it does feel very different. It feels like there's a few topics that have been making really big strides, and I wonder if there is an impact. I mean, on the one hand, I think maybe the 2008, 2009 crash made people, it forced people to look at money in a new way, but I also feel like things like Brene Brown's books and looking at shame and looking at the parts of ourselves that we've really just traditionally pushed down, it seems like the world is a little more ready to it. I mean, it's like your approach to money feels very much like embracing your shame and being kind to it and building a new relationship with it, along with many other things. But I'm wondering if the world's interest in watching a million, you know, a million views of Brene Brown's talks shows that we are ready to look at the things that we've been scared of in the past. Yes. I mean, there's a, there's a cultural shift that's happening, the crashes in the housing market and the stock market. Certainly have had a huge impact on so many people, you know, um, so many middle class and, and everything. And it's, it is, we've gone from death, not like we're done with that, um, sex, you know, and now as we're really taking on money, you know, we're really, really, really taking on money. And yes, Brene's, Brene Brown's work, um, is it, so wonderful as the companion, you know, and something, you know, everything she does, you know, I'm, I read it all, watch it all, enjoy it, and, you know, I saw Money Shame from day one, 15 years ago, and talked about it as this cloak of, I'm not okay, I'm not okay here, and something's the matter with me, and I'm not doing this right, and everyone around me knows how to do this, or at least better, and I'm over here with this, these mistakes, or this mess, or 
And so it's a huge part of the money healing work is is adding in as much gentleness and compassion and love to this area of life. And, you know, I, I'm not a tough love gal in this area. Every once in a while, I you know, you need some boundaries, you need some discipline, maybe when you get to the money practices. And yet for me, I always start with the gentle, loving, compassionate parts of doing the money healing work and really understanding <clears throat> what's your money story and where did it come from and how were you shaped and how does that all make sense? And again, what are your challenges and your strengths? And then, my God, where do you need to add some forgiveness and you know, for your past or who you were um, and how you reacted to your family of origin or lineage and what action steps can you take on any level um, to forgive and get more presence and that's where we do the money healing rituals and you know eventually get ourselves into starting to create a money practice that feels great but there's a lot of there's a lot of um, forgiveness and honoring and awareness and understanding work first in the money healing absolutely yeah. I wonder if we can if we can talk about the body check-in because I feel like that's so huge and I think even just buying this book for some people might require a body check-in. Right. Um, it's something that I have found incredibly helpful and even outside of the money world. But, but just I think this one practice is so huge if we can share a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's, it's my main tool, you know. If, when people say, what do you, how do you begin, I say the body check-in. And it's one of the most simple and profound tools um, because everyone's like, oh, yeah, I have a meditation practice or I go to yoga or I do these other body-centered practices, and yet to start bringing it into your daily money interactions, you know, changes everything. And so the body check-in for me is taking 30 seconds. It's taking a few minutes to just stop and pause and check in. Um, you can start by checking in with your breath. Like some of us just hold our breath when we're going to even think about talking about money or we go to have a money conversation or we go to look online. So first stop, um, I used to start with physically and noticing like are your feet on the floor and is your back against the chair. But I notice I'm starting to start with the breath first. So where's your breath in your body? How deep is it? How shallow is it kind of hanging out in your throat or stuck in your throat and not going down? So just bringing some attention inside and getting curious on what your breath is doing, how you're breathing. <clears throat> and then from there, moving into on a physical level, what's going on. You know, are your shoulders, like, up high? Um, are, are they really tight? Moving on to any sensations of stillness, of movement happening in your body. Are you feeling butterflies? Are you feeling, feeling tingling in your toes? And um, moving on to the emotions because there's a whole spectrum. And I see everything, and really everything's welcome, meaning – you know, they may be older emotions or older feelings, but we need to welcome them at first and bring awareness and understanding. And it can be everything from, I'm just so pissed that I have to do this money work. You know, I, I, I hate this or, I, you know, it makes me so angry or I'm just waiting for someone to do it for me or save me or why do I have to deal with this part of life or, you know, to full-on, like, anxiety um, around uh -huh. this area or fear or, you know, um, sadness of like sadness, so deep sadness that you don't know how to earn money yet um, or you haven't learned how to save yet or, you know, just deep sadness that this causes such tension in your relationship and your marriage, you know, um, uh, to I fully check out, you know, I just leave my body or I stick my head in the sand, or, you know, moving into the other side of the spectrum of, like, you just feel so much hope, like, you realize money is a tool, and, you know, it's something that you want to use to create a wonderful livelihood based on your values, and this area really excites you, and, you know, there's a whole spectrum, so uh -huh. 
the body check-in is just stopping and pausing for 30 seconds, a few minutes, checking in on your breath, physical sensation, emotion level. Um, you might want to end it with, well, what's one little adjustment or tweak that I can make? Like, should I loosen my jaw and wiggle it a little bit? Should Not should, but, you know, would it be helpful to lower my shoulders a little bit and do a little shoulder shimmy? Would it be helpful to, you know, take a deeper breath? a little lower down in my body. And I invite people to do a body check-in and all of these daily money interactions when you're going to have a conversation with your partner, spouse, before, during, in the heat of the moment, and after to, debr to debrief or when you're going to go online and look at your numbers or when you're going to sit down and do a money date, when you're going to go pay your bills, when you're going to the mall, you know, and here's the thing, like some of us can, re once we start reminding ourselves to do this, like insert body check-in, you know, in as many places, <laughs> we might realize like we're going to the mall, let's do a body check-in, or we may realize like we just left the mall with a few bags, and that's when we remember to do the body check-in. It's wonderful whenever you remember to do it, but this is a, it's a practice that I'm inviting people to insert daily in all these money interactions. Um, and it becomes more of a habit, you know, as you do it more and more and more. And this one teeny thing um, really leads to just more awareness of your patterns and your stories, which leads to more understanding, which leads to, I want to make some changes here, or I want to get on a different track, or wow, look at that pattern. How is that serving me or not? And, and do I want to keep it, you know, or change? And on and on. So this is beginning. This is and, of course, at the end of the day, it's not just about money, right? It's not just about a relationship. No. Money. The body check-in starts showing up everywhere. And folks really say, like, I love everything, Barry, but the body check-in just, it transformed everything. It, it just, you know, actually doing it really shifted um, my, my daily living experience. I agree. I have to say it has been a huge thing. And it, I think that the body check-in, paying attention to it when I'm contemplating a purchase or a financial decision. And in the book, you get to read about everything from, you know, a very small one to doing a body check-in at a car dealership, which is pretty amazing. Um, I love that story. I won't tell it. I'll let people read it. It was a full awesome. money. It was a, it was a body check-in in the bathroom, and then it was a fully money date in the car dealership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but that just starting to notice, like, oh, this choosing to spend money on this feels really expansive, and I'm actually taking bigger breaths. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, well, you're just going to notice you feel bad all the time, and it's just right. going to have to constrict. I mean, I, as a classic kind of under-earner, have to make everything smaller. You know, I'm just going to have to squish it down a little bit more and notice, like, oh, you know, when I think about taking a course, um, I actually feel a little bigger and a little looser, and, and that is something good to spend money on. But maybe when I, you know, buy something that I don't need that is just a nervous, anxious thing, I do feel that constriction and noticing the difference. And um, you, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, it's just I think that, that I, I think that I had a preconception, and I know a lot of people who feel this way as I've talked to them, that all you're going to learn is going to be negative or you're going to learn that you have to spend less or that you're not okay. And one of the things that I love about your work and your method is about really looking at where your values are and choosing where to put the money in a way that's actually going to make your life more the way you want it to be. Um, and that's huge. So, you know, we do a whole chapter on how to make money decisions. And some, you know, some chapters surprise me because sometimes we just had a little exercise in the year-long program and then it became a whole chapter. Um, mm -hmm. It was time to fill it out. And how to make a good money decision has been articles and pieces, but never like a full piece of, you know, content. And in that, and it shows up in the third phase, in the money maps phase, which is all about what life phase you're in and um, where you are in life and where you want to be going and how do you define basic needs and comfortable lifestyle and ultimate lifestyle and where are you at, you know? And the money practices work does a whole piece on values, incorporating your values and naming what they are and then getting to rename your bookkeeping categories because, again, bookkeeping for me seems so dry and awful and terrible, you know? And right away I was like, well, we got to add our values and 
let's rename things. And, you know, for some people, they just want the regular mortgage rent, you know, grocery categories. And other people are like, wow, I'm going to rename this, and it's just going to change everything. I'm going to, you know, some people find themselves, like, running to sit down at their Quicken or QuickBooks or whatever system they choose because it's filled with what's important to them. And they get to see, are they in alignment with their values, are they not, and renaming mortgage um, or rent to sanctuary or home or love shack or you know, just, you know, that simple little thing can change everything. So the, to, to make a money decision, it's, it includes things like the body check-in, right, in the moment. Um, and, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of folks who think, well, all I'm going to do is feel like crap. You know, like I already know yeah, how to feel about exactly. money. Why would I do this? But if you bring awareness to it and say hello and some kindness, you know, and compassion instead of like, can I just ignore this or not think of this because all I do is feel bad here, if you could just stay with it a little bit and do some deeper inquiry around where does this come from and 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 then open up to, well, is there any other path here? Are there any other options or possibilities? And not just shutting down or feeling like there's a brick wall, which we do feel, but I've seen 65-year-old women shifting their relationship to money. I mean, mm-hmm. like we can change in this area. I've seen it thousands of times. And if you don't look, it's never going to change, you know. So while it's hard and it's scary, it's all these things, if you can be brave to look, you know, then you can start to see what needs to be shifted in tiny little baby steps. That's the only way I really know how to do it. And that's why it's in a year-long program now, and that's why it's in a book. And and even people keep coming back after a year to the year-long program because it's not done, you know. So to finish it up, the money decision chapter has body check-ins and things like that, but it also has a larger view of, well, what lifestyles here are you going for? Most of us don't even know our numbers, let alone where we want to be going. And then it also just helps you, it helps walk you through a set of questions to ask. When you're, you know, when I go to the consignment store, I love consignment store clothing shopping, and um you know, I'm in there, and I can get more there because it's not that much. It's not as much money, right? And mm-hmm. I find that I can be more creative and buy buy something that I would normally never wear. You know, but I'm experimenting. Mm-hmm. And then I do ask myself a series of questions like, Am I going to really enjoy this? Am I going to get the value out of it? You know, I just there's a set of questions to ask, and that's smaller moments or to catch yourself online when you're online shopping. You know, and to ask yourself or to add a little space in, you need, like, for medium-sized decisions, you need to give yourself 24 hours or 48 hours. And okay. so it's a lot of tools of and stories. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, encouragement I, to eat chocolate, <laughs> which I think is important. Oh, you bet. No, you bet. Yeah, to have the dark chocolate and have a little ritual around looking at your money, which makes it really enjoyable, I must say. Um, I never thought I would feel that way, but I definitely – after doing this work, feel happy yeah. to look at my at my yeah. numbers. Well, that's where you can go, you know. But at the beginning, there's yeah. tension. There's all those feelings. Oh yeah. And then if you can actually, you know, do all these little baby steps, or you know, you choose which ones you want to do, which feel. But then you get to a place. I mean, I've heard it over and over. It was my situation too. I and just to make it enjoyable, you know, to light the candle, to eat the chocolate, to get out the essential oils, make it a little ritual. Because a lot of us do rituals in other areas of our lives, and we never imagined with money or our relationship to money, we can create rituals too. And, and some of us, you know, there are many, many tools that people can pick from, but that's something that I hear over and over again. You know, it's really, in, like, it's really enjoyable <laughs> to be doing this. I never, I never imagined that would be possible. So Exactly. So... Thank you so much for sharing all this. This is amazing. And I want to remind people again, the book comes out June 15th, correct? June 14th. So it will be June 14th. Oh, even a day earlier. (laughs) I know it's less than, what are we at, like 50 days? It's in 50 days. I know, it's so close. It's so close. and you can pre-order it now, which I have done. But um, And if you pre-order, I think, on certain places, they will deliver it on the day. So you, you get it great on that day if you're really raring to go. Um, 
And I think I think it just has the potential to transform so much. So I'm so grateful that you wrote it and thank you. that it's coming out. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing all of this. It's it's always a treat to talk to you and to to learn more. And I know that everyone's going to get so much out of hearing more about this work. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And um, maybe there'll be future books, and we can talk to you again when when that happens. I totally Probably not right I away. No, exactly. <laughs> like, I can't even. But supposedly that is on the horizon, so, um, Ooh, yeah. exciting. <laughs> so we'll look forward to that as well. Yeah, yeah. And again, people can find you at Barry, B-A-R-I, Tesler, T-E-S-S-L-E-R, dot com. Yeah. Um, you can find all kinds of stuff there. She has wonderful blog articles. You can join the newsletter. There's the Art of Money podcast. There's a season of that, which is wonderful. And then there's Art of Money dialogues. Um, the Art of the Year-Long Money School, the Art of Money, starts up in the beginning of the year, so you're currently in session. But there's a lot that you can do before the next one starts, yep. um, the beginning of 2017. Yes. Yeah, so I encourage you to check all that out and to order the book, which I am waiting for very excitedly to have my little physical copy in my hands. Okay. Thank you so much again. Thank you.